You're listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. What is going on, you guys? Hope that you are doing well. We are back after a couple weeks. Uh, I've been gone at our summer camps up in the Boulder Valley here in Montana, and uh, we are wrapping up our series, Seven Mile Miracle, this week. We uh, have been walking through the statements of Jesus from the cross and how those line up uh, with our discipleship journey, how they, they're mile markers, and how we can learn something from every statement that Jesus said from the cross. This series is based out of a book uh, written years ago by Stephen Furtick. Uh, he's a pastor in North Carolina, and uh, there's just some really, really cool things uh, that we can pull out of these specific scriptures. A couple weeks ago, uh, we had Shannon Gardner guest speak, and she spoke on the phrase, it is finished. She touched on the fact that separation from God was ultimately finished when Jesus spoke those words. If you want to hear that message, that uh, full sermon is on the podcast, so check out last uh, the last podcast. Today, we're going to wrap up the series with a statement out of the gospel of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 23 verses 44 through 46. It says it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until there until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, father into your hands. I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. There is something that happens when our life ends. What happens is often debated between people who have faith in Jesus and those who don't. And even for those of us who have faith in Jesus, even amongst ourselves, sometimes we have a debate on what heaven looks like. You have your opinions. I have my opinions. They might be similar and they might be completely different. But here's something that isn't up for debate. We will experience reunion with Jesus. What is not up for debate in the family of God is that we will experience reunion with Jesus. As Jesus speaks these words from the cross, they are words of reunion. He knows that he is walking into the presence of his Father. On the simplest of levels, it's an incredible reminder that someday you and I, if we consider Jesus our Lord and Savior, we will get to see Jesus face to face, and that should get us hyped. We should be so excited by the fact that someday we will see Jesus face to face. With that reminder, I want to look at a quote from Furtick's book. It says, Our ultimate destination isn't a place but a person. And that person is already at work within us at this very moment as we yield to his spirit. So for those, for those of us who consider Jesus to be our savior, I want to pose this question. Are we more focused on heaven or are we more focused on the one who created it? Are we more focused in a destination or the savior that created the heavens and the earth? You see, for so long in my life, I looked at heaven as this place that I couldn't wait to be at. It was, it was this incredible destination. And I, I looked at heaven as this like place up in the clouds and everything was going to be really soft, um, except the gold streets and the really dope mansions. And like, I just like saw this, like this amazing place that I just eventually was going to get to. And if, if I, if I lived good enough, if I, if I obeyed Jesus, if I accepted him into my heart, all those different things that one day I would get to spend time up in the clouds and maybe I get a sweet set of wings too. It was a place that I would end up and and maybe that's kind of the way that you've looked at it as well. What if we stopped looking at heaven as a location to get to and started looking at it as something that we are called to bring to earth? What if we stopped focusing on the destination and started focusing on Jesus? 
You see, if, if we brought heaven to earth, if we brought Jesus to the people around us, if we said that our lives and the lives of the people around us need Jesus, you see, heaven is this, is this, this destination that, that someday we'll get to share paradise with Jesus. But right now we get Jesus. We get Jesus. We don't have to wait for heaven. Jesus brought heaven to us. Heaven is being in the presence of Jesus. It isn't something that we have to wait for. It's something that we can have right now. Now, do I, do I believe that there will come a day where Jesus brings everything back to perfect order? Of course I do. Don't think I'm a heretic. I'm like, heaven's not real. Of course heaven's real. But what I'm saying is that maybe we shouldn't be people who live for something, quote unquote, out there, but for something that is here. Now, we are living for right now. We are living the callings and the appointments that Jesus has placed on our lives right now. We aren't just living in the hopes of being somewhere else someday. We should also live in the understanding that we are currently experiencing heaven because we have relationship with Jesus. That is an incredible thing. There's undeniably something significant that happens when our time on earth ends, but there's also something incredibly significant happening right now right now in the middle of our time on earth and we can't miss that we don't have to wait to meet jesus he's alive he's active he's working in our lives right now you see we've probably all heard some form of the phrase i don't i don't like to focus on the past i only look towards the future and i I get the sentiment of that but i think there's some faults in it and and i want to maybe maybe challenge that phrase a little bit Because my hope is that we could be people who have the capacity to see value in the past, in the present, and in the future. I want to break those three three things down real quick. The first thing is that we need to be people who appreciate the past. And I know that all of our pasts are different and some are really broken and messy. And I wish that so many people didn't have to go, go through what they did. Some of you are listening to this right now and your past has been... It has been crap. It has been terrible. It has been broken. And you never want to experience those things again. I pray that you never will. I pray that you never will. Some of us have had fine past. Some of us had really good past. We've had great families, great upbringings. We haven't experienced any significant trauma. Here's the thing, though. As a collective unit, as a culture, as a community, we cannot be people who dismiss the past as irrelevant. The past is valuable. It's incredibly valuable. We can learn from our past. We can learn from the mistakes that we made in the past. We can learn from the successes we made in the past. We can grow from those things. We can absolutely be refined by those things. The fire that we walk through refines who we are today. So appreciate the past. Secondly, let's use the present. It can be really easy to be people who get consumed by our past or obsessed with our future. We get stuck. Here's the thing. When we get consumed by our past or obsessed with our future, we cannot understand and fully appreciate what is happening right now. We cannot forget that today matters. You see, we cannot get so lost in what what was or what is going to be that we miss the importance of right now. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I spent the last several weeks up at camp, and and this last week we wrapped up our high school camp, and I had so many conversations with seniors in high school or graduating seniors, and almost every conversation started one of two ways. The first way would be, I can't believe that I've done all all these things in my past, and I, I feel shame and I feel guilt. And we had to walk through that and say that that wasn't from Jesus and make it really, really clear that, that the past doesn't define you, but it can refine you. Secondly, the second way that they would start is I'm so stressed out about the future. 
my parents want me to decide where I'm going to school or I need to figure out what I'm going to be after I, I graduate or what I'm going to go to school for or oh my gosh I'm 17 or I'm 18 I haven't found my spouse yet or whatever it may be every conversation started with stress that it was either rooted in the past or rooted in the future very few conversations that we have are rooted in the present and that is because we, we think about what happened yesterday or we think about what we want to do tomorrow instead of focusing on what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be today. Use the presence, the present. It is incredibly important right now. Thirdly, have expectations of the future. So appreciate the past, use the present, and have expectations of the future. Without question, there are promises that God is going to fulfill in our lives. We can have a holy expectancy of those things, but there's a difference between holy expectancy and worldly expectancy. Holy expectancy says, Jesus, I know who you are, so I'm expectant of what you're going to do, what you have chosen to do in my life. Worldly expectancy is, hey, I have expectations placed in my life, and God better make that happen. It's a command, not a request. We need to be people who are eternity-minded, but if we do not focus on all three of these things, we can often become stuck and stagnant. To end this series, what I want to do is I want to look at a scripture that talks about the walk to Emmaus. It's actually what this, this whole book that, that we kind of got inspiration from is based off of the seven-mile walk that the disciples take with Jesus to Emmaus. Um, Jesus shows up. This is post-crucifixion, right? It's the day of his resurrection. And it only seems appropriate that we wrap up the story that inspired the book that this story is based out of. So it's a little bit longer, but bear with me. We're going to be in, in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 36. It says, now that time, time, excuse me, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these last couple days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet and a powerful word, and powerful in word and deed before, Jesus, before God and all other people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. You see, at this time, these disciples are frustrated. They were following Jesus. They, they, were, they believed that he was the Messiah. And once, once he dead, they said, we had hoped he was the Messiah. They didn't fully believe that he was the Messiah. Then they go on to say, and what is more? It is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and they told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? In the beginning with Moses and all the other prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They each asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked, to, talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared, appeared to Simon. 
Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. See, the first thing that I want to point out is the disciples' insistence on, on Jesus staying and eating with them. He, he said he made it act like he was going to the next village, and, and they urged him strongly to stay. You see, when we intentionally invite the presence of Jesus, he will always show up. But it, it spurs a question within me, and maybe this would resonate with you as well, is how often do I urge the Spirit of God to show up in my life? How often do I urge Jesus strongly to show up in my life? And I'm not talking about commanding the Spirit. I'm talking about being someone who desperately requests Jesus to show up in my life. Jesus doesn't disappoint. He is always available and he is always present. The question is whether or not we actually recognize that and if we actually believe that. Would we be people who strongly urge Jesus to stay? Would we be people who strongly urge Jesus to camp out in the midst of our situation and say, no, The fire is burning within me, and I need that to keep burning. Jesus, stay in the midst of my situation. I need your presence. Next, I want to look at something that Furtick points out in his book, and I want to make it really clear that this was presented by him because as a communicator of the gospel, there's a a difference between inspiration and theft, and uh, I'm just letting you know that that I am stealing this concept. Uh, I'm going to throw out some some of my own ideas, but but I am stealing this. This is uh, straight out of the book. Uh, I want to look once more at verse 30 from, from the story that we just read. And it says this, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it. Furtick would pose that, that the method that Jesus uses is an indicator of how God works in his people. Throughout the book, uh, Furtick uses Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Jesus' examples, and I think it's incredibly applicable to our own lives as well. You see, we have been taken from something, and we have been taken for something. So Jesus took bread, and Jesus takes us. We have been taken from something, and we have been taken for something. No matter your story, Jesus wants to bring you into his arms. But he doesn't just take you into his arms. He doesn't just take me into his arms. He takes us with purpose and for a purpose. You see, what you have been taken from will serve the purpose of where God is taking you to. What you have been taken from will serve the purpose of where God is taking you to. As Jesus brings us into his arms, he doesn't just do that without intention. That he is also going to place us in the, in the environments, in the spheres, in the relationships that he desires for us. We've been taken from something, but we are also being taken to something. Secondly, God has blessed us. God has blessed us. The blessings in each of our lives look different, but they're undeniable. Sometimes it can be hard to see in the midst of a a hard season, but we have been given so much. It might be our families. It might be our jobs. It might be our friends. It might be our opportunities. It might be something else. It might be just the fact that many of us, most of us who probably listen to this podcast were born in the United States. And if you weren't born in the United States, depending on, on where you live, a lot of us live in free countries. And Right now, I think it's incredibly relevant because, I mean, we're looking at what's happening in Afghanistan and we're looking at at torture and killing and pillaging and and rape and murder and all these different things that are happening in this country and and believers in Jesus who are who are fearful, who who believe and are okay with the fact that they might meet Jesus in the next two weeks. They are going to meet Jesus face to face and they are standing strong. See, we need to understand that we've been blessed by so many different things. We can't be people who focus on the lack you see if we live with the understanding of how blessed we are we then become blessings to the people in our lives 
If we only focus on the lack, we will operate out of, of a place of lacking. And if we can focus on the blessing, we will operate out of a place of blessing. God has blessed us so we can bless other people. Thirdly, there will be times of brokenness. There will be times of brokenness. Abraham was broken when asked to give up his son Isaac. Joseph was broken in the pit and in the jail. Moses was broken in the wilderness. Jesus was broken on the cross. We will experience brokenness. But here's what is amazing about the story of Emmaus. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus until he broke the bread. Until there was breaking, they didn't recognize Jesus. And I only found this out recently, but but there's a really traditional way that you would serve bread in the Hebrew culture. So as Jesus broke the bread and presented it, he presented it palms up. And when he presented the bread palms up, the disciples saw the scars on his hands. They saw the scars on his hands and they immediately made the connection. This is Jesus. You see, brokenness often leads to growth. Brokenness often helps us recognize what we're dealing with. Brokenness helps us recognize our desperate need for Jesus. So a question that I would ask this week is what needs to break in you? What needs to break in you? Is that uh, that relationship that is already fractured, does it need to be broken? Does your pride need to break? Does your stubbornness need to break? Does your distrust in others need to break? Does your distrust in Jesus need to break? What needs to break in us so that Jesus can use us to our full capacity? What needs to break? God uses broken people to do big things. A.W. Tozer, an incredible theologian, he has a a semi-dark statement, and I think that there's a lot of truth in it. It simply says this. It says, it is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he is deep, until he has deeply hurt him. It is doubtful whether God can use a man greatly until he has deeply hurt him. Now, I, I don't, I don't know uh, if, if God goes around and goes, I need to hurt this person on, on purpose, but I think God allows us to go through the mud so that we can help other people get through that same terrain. God uses broken people to do big things. God uses broken people to find broken people. Stop looking at your brokenness as a disqualification. God's going to use it. Your broken brokenness doesn't disqualify you. We're all broken. God wants to use it. And this is it. This is the last thing. We are broken so that we can be given. We are broken so that we can be given. John 3:16, a verse that so many of us learned when we were like 6 years old. For God so loved the world that he gave his own one and only son. Talking about the cross where Jesus is broken. It says God gave. Jesus' brokenness led to his ability to be given to the entire world for all of eternity. If you are feeling like you're in a season of brokenness, maybe it's because God wants to give you and your story to the people around you. Maybe we should stop looking at our seasons of brokenness as just seasons of brokenness and look at them as seasons of opportunity. That God is refining that instead of, of holding all the broken pieces in our hands and saying, how am I going to get put to get together? We'd say, man, our, my, my brokenness has allowed me to have more pieces to give to the people around me, to my family, to my friends, to my neighbors, to my church. Here's the thing. We all make this journey. We all make it. But we don't have to take it alone. We are people living in community and in family.
You're broken for a reason. And you are being given to a needy world. You've been taken for a purpose. You've been blessed with intention. You've been broken for a reason. And you are being given to a needy world. Thank you for listening to the College Age Movement Podcast. College Age Movement's in-person gatherings meet Tuesday nights at 7, and we would love to have you there. If you are unable to join us in person, you can engage online at faithchapel.cc or follow us on our socials at collegeagemvmt.